The following message was recorded at Bethlehem Baptist Church in Minneapolis, Minnesota. More information can be found online at Bethlehem.Church. Our reading today is from Luke chapter 3. Luke chapter 3, verses 23 to 38. Jesus, when he began his ministry, was about 30 years of age. Being the son, as was supposed, of Joseph, the son of Heli, the son of Matat, the son of Levi, the son of Melchi, the son of Janai, the son of Joseph, the son of Matatias, the son of Amos, the son of Nahum, and the son of Esli, the son of Nagai, the son of Maath, the son of Matatias, the son of Semein, the son of Josek, the son of Jodah, the son of Joanan, the son of Resa, the son of Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, the son of Neri, the son of Melchi, the son of Adi, the son of Kosum, the son of Elmadam, the son of Er, the son of Joshua, the son of Eliezer, the son of Jorim, the son of Matat, the son of Levi, the son of Simeon, the son of Judah, the son of Joseph, the son of Jonam, the son of Eliakim, the son of Meleah, the son of Mena, the son of Matata, the son of Nathan, the son of David, the son of Jesse, the son of Obed, the son of Boaz, the son of Salah, the son of Nashon, the son of Aminadab, the son of Admin, the son of Arni, the son of Hezron, the son of Perez, the son of Judah, the son of Jacob, the son of Isaac, the son of Abraham, the son of Terah, the son of Nahor, the son of Serug, the son of Reu, the son of Peleg, the son of Eber, the son of Shelah, the son of Canaan, the son of Arphaxad, the son of Shem, the son of Noah, the son of Lamech, the son of Methuselah, the son of Enoch, the son of Jared, the son of Mahalaleel, the son of Canaan, the son of Enos, the son of Seth, the son of Adam, the son of God. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning. It's a joy to be with you today to share God's word with you. Do you believe what uh, scripture tells us that all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable. From the heart-stirring psalms to the practical problems, proverbs to the more perplexing lists of names. It is all here for our benefit to point our eyes to our Savior. That's my hope for our time together now. Let's pray. Lord, would you help us to taste and see once again that you are good as we look at your book? Would you satisfy our hearts and stir them afresh to revere our glorious Savior and King Jesus? We ask in his name. Amen. When you meet somebody for the first time, how do you usually introduce yourself? 
I might say that I'm married to Kristen, that I've got four kids, that I work at the seminary, that I live in Roseville, something like that. We, we wouldn't usually, I wouldn't usually introduce myself as Brian, the son of William, the son of William, the son of Edmund, the son of Edmund, the son of Robert, the son of Robert, the son of William. Although that would be true. That's how people long ago used to introduce themselves. You were known by the family you came from. And that's what we have here in Luke 3. Now in recent years, millions of people around the world have tried to learn about their identity and heritage using websites like Ancestry.com. You don't have to raise your hands if you've logged on. The popular site says this, your genealogy is part of the story of how you became you. You never know what you might find. Maybe there's a war hero, a mobster, or a royal in your family tree. Now, long before the internet made genealogy research mainstream, my father's mother was collecting family records from libraries and archives all over, and she traced our genealogy back over 40 generations, more than a thousand years. If she was still alive, I bet she'd have plenty of stories to share. The Bible includes a number of genealogies. For example, 1 Chronicles starts with a list of 13 names. Adam, Seth, Enosh, Kenan, Mahalalel, Jared, Enoch, Methuselah, Lamech, Noah, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. And it goes on like that for nine chapters. No mention of where they lived, what they did, what they were like. Just names. Just names. I never asked her, but I expect that my grandma loved the book of First Chronicles with all of those names. Now, the Bible includes two records of Jesus' genealogies. The opening verses of the New Testament in the Gospel of Matthew say that Jesus was the son of David, the son of Abraham. It goes from Abraham to Christ. And the second genealogy of Jesus is here in our passage, Luke chapter 3. Surprisingly, perhaps, Luke doesn't start with Jesus' genealogy but he includes it midway into the narrative between Jesus' baptism by John and his temptation by Satan in the wilderness. Our passage today is light on action and heavy on ancestry. The Gospels are filled with all that Jesus did and taught telling us who he is, how he called his disciples and calmed the raging sea and and rose from the dead on the third day. But here we have a list of names. And we might be tempted to skip over this part to get to the good stuff, the showdown with Satan that's coming in chapter 4. Or his, his opening up Isaiah and saying, today it's fulfilled in your hearing. That's coming in chapter 4. 
I think God has something for us here, tucked at the end of chapter 3 in this list of 78 names. Let's not skip over it. I think one of the things that we see here is that God, in the ordinary stuff of life, nothing's more ordinary than just a list of names. This is the medium that God is choosing to reveal extraordinary truths about who Jesus is and about how God works in the world. Here's our outline for today's message. First, making sense of the genealogy. Next, we're going to consider Jesus as the son of Adam. And then third, we'll consider Jesus as the son of God. So let's make sense of this genealogy as best we can. The Bible's genealogies or the lists of names that are recording people's ancestry remind us that as generations come and go, the everlasting God remains faithful to his people. He fulfills his promises. He accomplishes his purposes in the world. All these people have a beginning and an end, but not God. He is from everlasting to everlasting. As we consider this genealogy, it's helpful to think back to the very beginning of the scriptures, to Genesis 3.15. Because there, God declares, after man and woman's fall into sin, that there will be enmity between the woman and the serpent, between her offspring and the serpent's offspring. And several genealogies in the book of Genesis trace this chosen line of promise from Adam through Seth, rather than Cain, on down to Noah and his son Shem after the flood, to Abraham and Isaac, but not Ishmael, and so on. For generation after generation, the, the promise endures, the hope endures of what God would do, how he would one day send the snake crusher. And these lists of names remind us of people's mortality. Sometimes all we know about them is that they lived, they had children, and they died. But these lists also remind us of that promise. It wasn't yet fulfilled, but it remained. People's hope remained. One day, the deliverer would come. One day, God would have the victory over the snake. One day, we would be free from the penalty and power of sin. So look with me at some of the details of Luke 3. Let's consider what Jesus' genealogy has for us. We see some familiar names here. Joseph, he's the righteous carpenter from Nazareth who takes Mary as his wife. If you skip down a little bit, you see Zerubbabel, the governor who rebuilds the temple after exile. If you skip down a little further, you see David, one of the most famous names on the list. 
He's the king after God's heart, the sweet psalmist of Israel. Boaz, the son of righteous Rahab, Ruth's kinsman redeemer. If you go further down, you see Judah, Jacob's fourth son with a very messy family who becomes leader of his brothers. We see Jacob the trickster and God wrestler who is also called Israel. His father Isaac, the promised child named after Sarah's laughter. Abraham, the friend of God, the father of many nations. If you skip, skip down a little bit further, you see Noah, the boat builder who found favor in God's sight. Methuselah, who was really old. Enoch, who walked with God and God took him. Seth, who called on the name of the Lord. Adam, created from dust in the image and likeness of God. Now many of the 77 names in this list are not found anywhere else in scripture. We don't know anything about Mathat, Melchi, Mattathias, Math, Malaya, Mena, or Mathatha. And that's just the M names. We just know that they come from Adam, that they lived, that they had children, and they died. And we know that even though they didn't realize this, God decided to write their names into the Savior's genealogy. How does Luke's list compare with Matthew 1? Some of you may be wondering that, maybe flipping back and forth. Well, Matthew's gospel opens with Jesus' genealogy, as I said. But Luke saves his for a little bit later on in the story. We'll come back to why that is in a few minutes. Matthew starts with Abraham and includes 40 generations leading up to Jesus. He also mentions four important women, Tamar, Rahab, Ruth, and the wife of Uriah, Bathsheba. Luke starts with Jesus and then works his way down, 77 names going all the way back to Adam, the son of God. There's 17 names that appear on both lists. There's lots of overlap from Abraham to David, and then they part ways until after the exile, Shealtiel and Zerubbabel, and then they part ways again and they converge on Joseph, Jesus' adopted dad. Scholars throughout church history have tried to figure all this out. Uh, One popular explanation to try to reconcile these genealogies is that Luke preserves Mary's genealogy from David to Joseph, while Matthew preserves Joseph's family line. One difficulty with this theory is that that's not what Luke says. 
He doesn't say here in Luke 3, Jesus' son of Mary. But he says that Jesus is the son, as was supposed, of Joseph, who was the son of Heli, and so on. An alternate explanation is that Matthew's genealogy focuses on Jesus' royal line, going from David to Solomon to Rehoboam and the kings of Judah, while Luke's genealogy focuses on Joseph's physical lineage. I think that could be possible. It's hard to know for sure. What we do know is that the Bible's given us this list of names, and it's given us the list of names in Matthew, and we have every reason to expect that it is true. Perhaps the most surprising difference between the two lists is that Matthew lists Jacob as the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, while Luke 3.23 states that Joseph was the son of Heli. Why is that? I think it's likely that Jacob and Heli were close relatives, either brothers or an uncle and a nephew. One was Joseph's biological father, and the other probably legally adopted Joseph after his birth father died. This was a very common practice in the ancient world. In fact, the greatest Roman emperor, Caesar Augustus, who's mentioned in chapter 2 of Luke, was adopted after his own dad, Gaius, died by Julius Caesar. As an adoptive dad myself, I think it is remarkable that Joseph's own experience of adoption, very likely, was one of the means that God used to prepare him to take Mary's son and raise him as his own. Another key difference between Matthew and Luke is that they follow different sons of David. Matthew states David was the father of Solomon, while Luke says that traces Jesus' descent through another of David's sons with Bathsheba, Nathan. We don't know much about Nathan, except that he is one of the children that David had with Bathsheba, and that he is the older brother of Solomon, who was the great king. Matthew traces that royal line through the kings of Judah, but the only king on, G- on Jesus' list in, in Luke is, is David. None of the other kings are mentioned on this list. Why is that? I think one commentator, James Edwards, rightly suggests that Luke's genealogy places Jesus in direct relationship with David without the intervening and unfaithful Davidic rulers. This is helping us to connect uh, with what the angel declares in Luke chapter 1. That Jesus is the true heir of the throne of David his father. And that he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. Jesus is the true king that God's people had been waiting for. Not Solomon, 
Not even Josiah or Hezekiah. No. No, Jesus is that forever king promised in 2 Samuel 7. Luke's genealogy helps us to see that. Both Matthew and Luke make clear that Jesus is Joseph's legal son, but not his biological son. Jesus was conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. That's why verse 23 in our passage says that Jesus was the son as was supposed of Joseph, the son of Heli. We see this mistaken belief that Jesus was just Joseph's son in chapter 4 when the people of Nazareth say, isn't this Joseph's son? And they dismiss his claims. The word here translated supposed is often used for faulty assumptions. We see that back in chapter 2, verse 44, when Mary and Joseph unknowingly left Jesus back in Jerusalem, supposing that he was with them in their traveling group. They wrongly supposed that he was with them. And people wrongly supposed that Jesus was just Joseph's son. So, Luke 3 traces Jesus' genealogy from his adopted father, Joseph, through dozens of generations back to the very beginning of the Bible. When God formed the man, Adam, from the dust of the ground. We see God's faithfulness to keep his promises and accomplish his purposes in the world through the well-known and the little-known names on this list. Until in the fullness of time, he sent Jesus to reign over the house of Jacob forever as our long-awaited Savior and King. So we've tried to make sense of the genealogy. Now let's focus on Jesus as the son of Adam and then Jesus as the son of God. We see both of these in verse 38. The son of Enos, the son of Seth, the son of Adam, the son of God. Matthew's genealogy emphasizes that Jesus is son of David, son of Abraham. Two of the the great names of the Old Testament, both of whom God made covenants with. In you, all the families of the earth will be blessed, Abraham. David, one of your sons will reign forever. I will establish his throne. Matthew's wanting us to see those connections and how they're fulfilled in Christ. But Luke's genealogy takes us all the way back to the beginning. David and Abraham are on there, but they don't get any special treatment. They just get their name in the list. Luke takes us all the way back to Adam, the first man created in God's image. Acts 17 says that God made from one man, Adam, every nation of mankind. He's not just the father of Israel. He's the father of everyone from all the nations. And Romans 5 explains that this man 
this first man, Adam, sinned. And that led to condemnation and death for all people. The sin that entered the world through Adam is humanity's deepest and darkest problem. As every natural born son of Adam and daughter of Eve has continued to sin like our first parents by nature and by choice. Again and again, every generation without exception, they lived, they sinned, they had children, and they died. Again and again. Luke's list takes us all the way back to Adam because Jesus is going to deal with the problem that has infected humanity all the way since the beginning. We needed another Adam. As the Apostle Paul says, the last Adam. Or as the song says, the true and better Adam. Jesus is Adam 2.0. And he came to deal decisively with humanity's sin problem. Which has cast a long shadow of suffering and death on all of human history. Jesus is truly a son of Adam. But this text reminds us that he is not merely a son of Adam. He is also the son of God. Look back to verse 22 of chapter 3. I think it's helpful to read the genealogy in light of what is said of Jesus at his baptism. Passage that Pastor Kenny spoke on last week. The Holy Spirit descended on Jesus in bodily form like a dove, and a voice came from heaven and said, You are my beloved Son. With you, I am well pleased. And then look at the very end of our passage. The last word of Luke 3.38. The son of Adam, the son of God, Jesus. We we have the, the genealogy going all the way back to Adam. But on either side of that, we have, you are my beloved son, the son of God. And this helps us to frame the genealogy of Jesus. Lest we think that he is just another son of Adam. Just Joseph's son. Just the carpenter's son. Oh no. He is who God says he is when the heavens open. You are my beloved son. I'm well pleased with you. Verse 23 says that when Jesus began his ministry, he was about 30 years of age. Why mention that detail, Dr. Luke? Well, we know that Luke is both historically accurate and theologically attuned. And this reference to Jesus being about 30 years old reminds us of the Old Testament where the priests began their temple service when they were 30 years old. It reminds us that Joseph became governor of Egypt when he was 30 years old. It reminds us, moreover, that 
David began to reign as king when he was 30 years old. What does that have to do with Luke 3? Well, I think we see here that Jesus is beginning his reign. He's beginning his work. Much anticipated. Not just anticipated for 30 years since the angel came to Mary said the Holy Spirit's going to overshadow you and you're going to have a son and he's going to be holy. No, this, this child has been anticipated for 78 generations. For all of human history, they've been waiting for this king, this savior, this Adam 2.0. And now as he's Three decades old, he's beginning. The text doesn't actually even say that he's beginning his ministry. It just says he was beginning. He's beginning something. He's beginning a new work. He's beginning a glorious work. Not everybody had eyes to see it, but for those that did, they recognize God is on the move as Jesus began. Now let's revisit that question that I asked earlier. Why does Luke include this list of names here? At the end of chapter 3, after Jesus' baptism, before his temptation. I think we get a clue to the answer of that If we go ahead to chapter 4, verse 3, the devil's first challenge to Jesus. What does he say? As Jesus is hungry, having been in the wilderness for 40 40 days, the devil said to him, if you are the son of God, command this stone to become bread. And Jesus answered, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone. The devil tempts him again and again, and Jesus passes every test. The devil questions Jesus' sonship, his divine sonship, and also tempts him in his humanity, in his weakness and hunger. Jesus passes every test. He knows that man doesn't live by bread alone. He doesn't need whatever Satan has to offer. He is trusting in the word of God. He is succeeding where that first Adam failed. He is succeeding where the nation of Israel failed in the wilderness. He is succeeding where generation after generation failed as they listened to the voice of Satan rather than listening to the voice of God and banking their hopes on every word that came from the Lord. Not Jesus. This son of Adam does not disappoint. He will never disappoint. He is the promised one, the snake crusher, the rightful king, the Lord of heaven and earth. This is the good news woven through Jesus' genealogy. 
he enters into this line of disobedient Adam, drunken Noah, lying Abraham, trickster Jacob, adulterous Judah and David, and the dozens of generations about which we don't know anything more than their name. And he succeeds where all of them failed. He is the righteous one, the only one that was perfectly and completely righteous and reliable. He is the one we've been waiting for, that our hearts were made to trust and treasure forever. So, we've tried to make sense of this long list of names which reveal God's unfolding purposes in the world. It shows how he is keeping his promises in the fullness of time. We've seen how Jesus is the greater son of Adam, that he is truly the son of God, just as God declares he is at his baptism. I think this study of Jesus' lineage should move us first to reassess our stories in light of his story, and second, to revere our Savior. So first, let's reassess our stories in light of his story. Each of us is a son or a daughter. We have parents and grandparents and great-grandparents, whether we know them or not. Many of us are also parents. Some are grandparents and so on. For some, if we think about our family history, if we open up the, open up the record books, we'd, we'd have uh, joys and good memories and great examples But for others, our our family line is a big mess of broken relationships, bad choices, and bitter memories. Just tragedy on every page, heartache on every page. Many of us have mingled happiness and heartache in our family histories. And those have consciously or unconsciously shaped us in our lives in various ways. This list of names in Luke 3 challenges us to reassess our past and present and future in light of the gospel of Jesus Christ, who is the son of Adam and the son of God. If you come from a great family line, it doesn't guarantee you new birth or advanced standing in God's kingdom. If your family is a mess, it does not put you out of reach Of God's saving mercy. Remember that Jesus' family tree is a messy mixture of nobodies, notorious sinners, and faithful sufferers. The God man, Jesus Christ, entered into the pain and problems of human history to succeed where our first father failed, to rescue us from the penalty and power of sin to destroy the works of the devil, to give us a hope and a future. As the old hymn puts it, he left his father's throne above, so free, so infinite his grace. He emptied himself of all but love and bled for Adam's helpless race. Tis mercy, all immense and free. For oh my God, it found out me. Friends, has that mercy found you out? 
has that mercy entered into your story? Broken into your life? Changed your perspective on your past and present and future? Let's reassess our identity, our heritage, our outlook on life in light of what our glorious Savior has done for us and has promised to be with us to the end of the age. Finally, this genealogy of Jesus moves us to revere our Savior. He is not the Savior people expected, but he is the one that we all so desperately needed. He was not born in a palace, but a stable. Not into a prominent family, but a poor one. The faithful saints of old knew that the woman's son would one day crush the serpent's head. But no one knew how God would do it. Jesus, the son of Adam and son of God, is the glorious answer revealed in the fullness of time. The old theologian J. Gresham Machen puts it well when he says, The eternal son of God, he through whom the universe was made, did not despise the virgin's womb. What wonder is there? But in that wonder, we find God's redeeming love. And in that babe who lay in Mary's womb, we find our Savior, who thus became man, to die for our sins and bring us peace with God. So friends, wonder at Jesus Christ. Revere him. Come to him with all your cares. And find rest for your souls. Find that lasting peace. Find that hope and a future through Jesus, the Son of Adam, the Son of God. Let's pray. Lord, it is a wonder that you chose to do things as you did. It is a wonder that you included all of these names on the list of the Savior. Lord, we glory in Jesus. We want to receive in fresh measures your mercy. We want to see our lives and our identity in light of what Jesus has accomplished for us. So Lord, take this word and press it onto our hearts, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Bethlehem Baptist Church in Minneapolis, Minnesota. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for these copies or alter their content in any way without written permission from Bethlehem Baptist Church. For more information, we invite you to visit us online at Bethlehem.Church or write us at 720 13th Avenue South, Minneapolis, Minnesota, 55415. Bethlehem Baptist Church, spreading a passion for the supremacy of God in all things, for the joy of all peoples, through Jesus Christ.